Good to be here with all of you today and another good crowd showing up and that's uh, always encouraging and I think we're looking forward to seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. At least we're moving in the right direction, I'd say. Got some exciting news, may want to share a little bit of that at the end of the service uh, about Sunday school. And uh, I think we settled on a date, didn't we, last week? Kind of a tentative date that we're looking forward to the couples class. And so uh, we're excited. Was that the May 9th? May 9th. May 9th, the couples class. So looking forward to that. That came as a suggestion, by the way, a handwritten letter from a member that handed that to me. Took it, I took it and took it to the elders, and we started working on it, thought it was a good idea, good suggestion, and, uh, and here we are. Now we're going to be talking about starting up on the 9th of May and being able to have that take place, and so we're excited. I mean, God just is just working in a special way, so I'm, I'm excited for, for everyone concerned, and uh, we had some needs last week uh, that we... That, before that, that had not been met in, as far as teachers for the little children for these couples, and and people have stepped up, and um, these are these this is being answered. So we're really excited. I mean, it's really really exciting. Um, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Second Timothy chapter four. I think before we read the text, I'll go ahead and do my, my introduction. There is a, I do have a, a reason for the, the type of introduction that I have here today. Uh, because, again, we're trying to encourage everyone to be prepared, be ready for that day uh, when, you meet, uh, when you meet the Lord as a believer. But uh, I can remember, and some of you can identify with this, I'm sure. But I can remember my parents, as they were aging, they were saying, um, well, this will be the last wash machine I'll ever have to buy. And, um, or this will be the last of whatever that I'll have to buy. The, I remember them saying, this is the last vehicle we'll ever have to buy. And I thought, that's strange that you live like that, you think like that. And now, lo and behold, here I am. Saying the same thing. Well, when you buy quality, when you buy quality, you get a lot longer life out of things, okay? So, so I'm, I'm looking forward to lots of, lots of extra time, but I mean, I, you know, I'm... I, so here's, the, here's my dilemma that I've been involved in for several, well, for over a year, and it drives my wife absolutely crazy. Yeah, oh, sure. We're normal and we're human, but I drive her crazy with this because um, I've been researching pickup trucks for over a year. Now, now that I've learned how to use the smartphone. Boy, if I'd have had that in high school, I might have actually made some bees. 
But I feel so much smarter that I can look stuff up and and find definitions. And so I've I've read hundreds of reviews on trucks. Um, now, most of you know, some of you may not. We live we live on a ranch. Um, it's the grassy road. It's probably 200 yards from the gate. It's just grass. It's just mud, grass, dirt, sand. And then we pull up to the house and we do have a driveway. Actually, you can't tell that by our car, but uh, we have a driveway, concrete. And so we pull up on that. But four-wheel drive is a necessity. It's not a luxury. Okay. Uh, Four-wheel drive is a necessity. So as I'm, I'm researching pickup trucks, um, and this is what I wanted to say directly to Bill, that I've actually included in that search Ford trucks. I, I know, I know. Well, now, wait a minute now. I, I don't know. I, I don't know where we're going with this, but... Um, Bill, have you been proselyting, uh, trying to convince people of, of your side of this here debate that we've been involved in for 20 something years, <laughs> but I told him, I told him out of the foyer, I've actually looked into it and read reviews with an open mind. I'd learned some things about engines that I didn't know. I, I learned some things about uh, transmissions that I didn't know. And uh, although I did, honestly, and inside of me, I, I mean, just, I couldn't help myself. I did feel like a backslider. As I would, but, I, but I did it with an open mind, and I told Bill I was going to do that, and I've done it. But now, what, what, I'm looking, what I'm looking for is reliability, not chrome and glitter. See, I'm looking for reliability. I want something that's going to work. The truck I own right now, when I bought it, and a lot of people say, oh, you don't want to ever buy new. Well, I bought new. It had five miles on it. When I bought it from Buckaloo, four-wheel drive Z71, 2001. I'm still driving that today. And it's got approaching 230,000 miles on it. Um, I've had to pull people out of the being stuck on the, on the ranch. I pulled a big, we had a load of gravel and the big gravel oversized dump truck, just not your normal dump truck, but an oversized dump truck got stuck and he needed just a nudge to get out. And I hooked on with my little half ton pickup truck. I know that sounds hard to believe, but just that's all it took to get him over the little hump that he was on. So it's a tank, but it's dependable. And so I want dependable. Uh, a lot of the reviews knock different uh, truck companies because they're not up to speed on Bluetooth and all those things inside the cabin of the truck. And see, I don't care one thing about Bluetooth in my truck. I want it to start. I want it to run. I want it to be able to get out of a, a, a bad spot 
and I want it to, be, to work. I want it to haul tons and tons of stuff. I want it to be able to pull stuff. So all of that. So the moonroof and leather are nice to have, as I heard Dwight say so many times in our elders' meetings. Nice to have, but not necessarily a necessity. So these are some things. So with all of that in mind, uh, I'm, I'm leading into this message that as we go through life, there are things that I just, if somehow the Holy Spirit could be so real to us today and show us things that are not necessary. Show us things that are not necessary and maybe where we're chasing a rabbit that we don't need to be chasing. That's not going to amount to anything when it comes to the judgment seat or the Bema seat of Christ. Okay, does that so that's why I said all that about a truck. I want something that's gonna count, and I want to preach a message today about our lives counting, not being running off in all kind of directions, thinking we're doing great things in the name of Jesus, and look up one day and discover that it really wasn't what we thought it was. Does that make sense? I mean, is that that's the way I think. So let's read this passage, very familiar passage. And we, we understand that. But verse 6 of chapter 4, 2 Timothy. For I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not only to me, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So, let's, let's pray just for a moment before we actually get into this. Father, we thank you for just this privilege in a free country to be able to proclaim and teach your word, preach your word. I pray our hearts would be hungry. I pray that we would see the need. I pray that we'd be responsive, that we would not be resistant, that we wouldn't be callous, that we wouldn't be gospel hardened. And so I just pray, Father, that today we would respond in a positive way to you and to your word, and that we would be open to the Holy Spirit instructing us and teaching us from your holy word. Pray for those that might be here that are lost, that have never been born again. Pray that they'd be saved today before it's too late. We love you and thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says, my departure is at hand. My departure is at hand. I'm now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. The time of my departure is at hand. I want to just say very simply that departure means death. A lot of people don't like to talk about death and dying. But 
I will tell you from the very beginning in the early 1970s when God was stirring in my heart to call the call to preach it was it was motivated my the call to preach as I was a Houston police officer the call to preach was driven and motivated and God was speaking to my heart because of so many people I saw that had lived their last day right before my eyes. I mean, it was, a, it was a huge number of people. And, you, and, that, and that has an impact on you. You can't, you know, you can say, well, you know, you can just walk away. And no, I can, I can almost pull back so many by memory of the scenes that I've seen. But it's real. They're real and, and at that time of my life, in the early 70s, I was a growing believer. Linda and I hadn't been married long, and I was really devouring, as I told you the uh, other day, I was devouring the Word of God, really growing in the Word of God, and I was so, so eager to let the Lord speak and show me things, and, and so, uh, and He was really causing me to, I'd see these people and I'd say, they, they just went off into eternity. I mean, one minute they're here, and the next minute they're off in eternity. And they had no idea. They had no idea that would be their last day. And so you see that scene, and you see these the visuals that are very real and very clear. Those are people. And you say, I, 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 it stirred me. It stirred me. It caused me to want to preach. So every time... I preach anywhere. You can almost count on the fact you're going to hear that if you want to go to heaven, you need to have faith in Jesus Christ and faith in Christ alone. You can't get there by working your way. You can't get to heaven by being a good person. You can't be, uh, you know, a member of a church and think that's going to get me to heaven. You can't even follow the ordinances of baptism. And I know there are doctrines out there that teach those things, but, but that's, not, that's not Bible. That's not the truth. It's faith. It's believing in the Lord Jesus Christ that God has raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. And so even now as I speak, I mean, I look out here and I see your faces and I'm assuming everybody loves Jesus. But I don't know that. Only God really knows if you really have been born again. And so it's important, it's imperative. And I, I think, think thinking like this and, and being attuned like this ought to cause all of us to have the zeal and the compassion. Don't ever lose your compassion for souls. Don't ever lose your zeal. And don't ever get hardened to the fact that, oh, well, it's just another death. Just another number. Just another person. We don't know. And, uh, you know, uh, we ought to be stirred by people living and dying and dying without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I can't ignore statistics. I can't ignore that. Read about disease around the world. Cancer. COVID, 
heart attacks, automobile. I looked up automobile just for last year. You know how many people died in the U.S. from just automobile accidents last year? 42,060 people. 42,060 people died in automobile accidents last year in the U.S. On average, more than 38,000 people a year die in automobile accidents. That means when you get in your car, there's a possibility that as you drive down the freeway, you may be an excellent driver, but that person speeding, and I've had every trip we make, every time we get behind the wheel, Somebody zipping around and acting crazy, motorcycles going 110 miles an hour and moving in and out of lanes. And, you know, just think any minute it's going to be over. And I've seen several on the way in. And then, you know, the ship that went down in the Gulf off the coast of Louisiana last week. Six survivors, wasn't it, or something like that? And the others perished out of 19, a crew of 19 or whatever it was. I mean, they're out there doing their job, going through, a storm pops up, the ship sinks, and so many people drowned. They had no idea it was their last day. Plane crashes. Well, I hope and pray that that's not the way I go. And I'm doing my best to fight against that one. Because I hope I've flown my last. Like I said the other day, I said one thing I'm not going to die from is skydiving. Unless the skydiver is out there and he zeroes in, he says, there's Rod Hovey and I'm going to get him, you know. But the Apostle Paul, this is an amazing statement. The time of my departure is at hand. The time of my departure is at hand. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul had made a decision. We know the account. We've studied his life. He was born again, a child of God. And he, and, he, and he realized that his life from salvation to the end of his life was coming to, it was coming to an end. It was approaching the end. And he said, the time for my departure is at hand. It's, it's coming. And so he was, he was there. It's important to understand from the day of salvation to the day you die, that's when you can make a difference in your life when you meet the Lord, it's that space of time that we invest in, that we obey. Now, I want to show you a couple of things that hopefully it'll encourage you and you might think about it. Verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I want you to, now we're thinking about preparation for that great day. And I've had so many people, I mean, even, even this week, say, I just didn't know if this was going to be what gets me because of the uncertainty of how it's affected different people. And that feeling, 
I've had, I don't have many of them have said to me, I know where I'm going. I'm not afraid to die. But I just wasn't sure was this going to be it. But notice the wording. And I, I really believe when we read these words, this is not just, you know, flip a coin and, and the Apostle Paul decided, well, that's what I'll, I'll write. I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. He's referring to life, his life. He referred to it as being in a fight. I have fought a good fight. His mission, his life's calling. And I find this, and y'all may not, I mean, I hope you do, but I, I find this very interesting. His choice of words, I have fought a good fight. He didn't say, I've sure enjoyed the picnic. Or the view down the river as I was paddling was just beautiful right <laughs> he didn't he didn't say oh life has just been like a, a paddle experience or I just came back from the blue bonnet trail and it was just glorious I mean do y'all see I mean is this just too too basic too simple that he says I fought a good fight he's been in a fight he realizes his life has been a fight. He's been in a war, a spiritual war. Turn back, if you will, to Ephesians. This is common, and there are other references other than Ephesians and different places. But look at Ephesians 6. I mean, the Apostle Paul understood what this war, this battle of the Christian life. And folks, listen. I think it's sad that believers can go to church and not hear, you know, when you sign up and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be in a war. You're going to be in a fight. The fight of your life. May I tell you, may I warn you that Satan is out to totally wreck he can't touch your soul. If you are born again, he cannot have your soul. He is out to destroy your testimony. He is out to destroy your life. And that is why it is absolutely imperative that we understand that we wrestle not. Verse 12 of chapter 6. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. But folks, let me tell you, Satan, if you give him ground, he is going to try to destroy your life. Give him an inch. Give him a, a, a foothold in your life in any way, shape, or form. And he's going to try to totally slam you to the ground. 
Wreck your home. Wreck your life. Wreck your testimony. Because he's serious. He is serious about his side of the fight. He hates Jesus Christ with a passion. There are no... There are no words to describe his hatred for Jesus. And if you just a little bit stand for Jesus, he's going to come after you. And he's going to do everything he can to wreck your life. And that's why we have to be warned. We have to be told. We have to be reminded. We wrestle, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then he goes in, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, not part of the armor of God, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Well, folks, the evil day was then, and we're in the evil day today. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The Apostle Paul understood and was trying to get the church ready and to be in a war that if we're not, our loins are not girded up with truth, we don't have this armor, the whole armor of God, you and I, no wonder the church is in the shape the church is in today. In America, if the church was everything that we ought to be today, there are certain things that would not be occurring in America. Because the church would be united. The church would be strong. The church would be one in God's Spirit. And we would experience as a church, not just North Belt, the church, the body of Christ, the power of Christ that raised Him from the dead. And we would be able to stand against the wicked and the evil of abortion in our country. But there is no power because the church is chasing rabbits and we're off doing other things. But it's a war. It's a fight. It's a battle. But it's not against flesh and blood. Can we say, can we say, like the Apostle Paul, at the end of our life, I fought a good fight. I fought a good fight. 
Are we going to be engaged in the fight with the real enemy? You know, I'm not going to name a name, but I received a text this week from a person made this statement. I looked it back up so I'd get it right. They sent me this text and said, Satan must really enjoy the show. He doesn't even have to lift a hand. Because so many, and folks, you need to be aware, so many Christians are turning on each other. They're turning on each other. Our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We're not each other's enemies, but the devil, the lion, deceiving devil is so shrewd in deception that he can somehow with those fiery darts plant seeds of thought in our minds and we entertain it and we listen to it and we allow it to come. And first thing you know, we start looking at each other like we're enemies of each other. He does it over doctrine. Isn't it sad? I mean, there are folks that would not sit under this preaching because of certain doctrine. Doctrines divide. And Satan, Satan just is having a heyday over all these different things that we get so bowed up about. And folks, I'm just telling, please, let's, let's think about what really is going on here. Satan is real. His demonic forces are real. Principalities and powers are real. And there, I'm telling you, in this day, they are coming against the church full force. Let me flip back here to another passage. Second uh, Timothy two. Look at three and four. Second Timothy two, three and four. I, this is, I'm just pointing this out to you because you know this. I know this is not new information for you. But you need to be reminded that the Apostle Paul really believed in spiritual warfare. He believed in the, the war that's, that we're engaged in as believers. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth. I want you to look at the terminology. Look at the choice of words. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, folks, I, I don't know where you are and what you're thinking at this time in your life. And I know that we've all got exciting plans for the future and we're looking forward to you know, more children and more grandchildren and all these different things. But let me just say, don't lose sight of the fact that we are in a war and Satan doesn't play. You know, 
um, today, today the training for police officers is kind of amazing. You know, they have to only use a certain level of force or whatever force is being used against them. It's just unbelievable. You know, back in the 70s, it, we didn't have any of that. You know, you just stepped out of your car and somebody resisted, you fought to win. And there was no like, okay, now I can do this. Now I can do that. Now I can do that. You know, well, I'm going to tell you what. Satan's not going to play fair. He's not following anybody's rules or guidelines. If he can get in your home, listen, listen, if he can get in your home, with some of the fancy technology that we all share and enjoy, and I've said today, it's benefited me. The proper use of it has benefited. But if he can get in your home deceptively and get in there and get a hold of your children's minds, husband's mind, the wife's minds, and start manipulating and working in there, I'm going to tell you, it is devastating. It is devastating. I've been in the ministry long enough now. I've seen families that have been successful and stayed in the fight their whole lives, and I've seen families crumble. I've seen them crumble. And so just today, you need to be aware. It's, it's a fight. Um, and and be engaged in the in the right fight. I mean that be engaged in the right fight. We need to be in a spiritual battle against wickedness and demons and against Satan and all that he stands for, but not against each other. We don't need to be fighting against each other. Get in the right fight. I've used this illustration a couple of times. It's a true story. It happened to me. But I think, it, I think it shows what I'm trying to say right here. I, uh, I went to public school. And I, I liked baseball, but I did go out for football. And I, and I made the team. I made the team, but it was not the A team. It was the... B, C, D team. Uh, they needed bodies on the field to practice with. So they let you make the team wear the uniform, show up for the games, but you never really got to play much. I might occasionally get to play on kickoff. You know. Well, at practice, and I've, I know some of you heard this, but not, not a lot. It's one of, not one of my famous stories. But, uh, <clears throat> but at practice... You know, I'm on one side and the A-team's on the other side and we're, you know, going after each other. And, and apparently I didn't hit somebody or didn't block somebody or didn't whatever. So the, the coach, in my face, hubby, he's right up in my face, hubby, hubby, hit somebody, hit somebody. Come on, hit somebody. And so, you know, they blew the whistle and they started getting ready to do the play. So I'm, you know, in a crowd's down position and I'm taking off the line and there wasn't anybody in front of me. So I'm looking around. And so I just go off the side and I just knock the fire out of this guy. 
And, and this, I mean, knocked him back. I wish I could say it knocked him to the ground. I don't remember that part. All I know is I did hit him hard. And the coach ran over there. Good job, hubby. Good job. Next time, hit somebody in the game. He was standing on the sideline with his helmet in his hand, and I plastered him. Now, believers, hit somebody, but make sure it's satanic and not your brother or sister in Christ. Amen? Stop this nonsense. On that day, on that day, I promise you, I know this, I know this. When you're standing before the Lord, some of these trivial things that Satan has deceived us into allowing to mushroom into mountains in our minds are not going to be anything when we're face to face with Jesus. It's just not going to mean anything. Now, let me, let me take you to another passage here. First Thessalonians 4.11. I've, I've, I've preached a whole sermon on this verse. First Thessalonians 4.11. And that you study to be quiet and do your own business. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Believers, I've told a lot of people that my plate is full just taking care of my life. Trying to keep me out of trouble. I don't have time to be a busybody and try to tell you where you're going wrong. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we can't have communication back and forth about areas, blind spots, and all these different things. That's fine. But I think the scripture is very, very clear. There are jurisdictions that we're to take care of. And a lot of people feel it's their calling to step across that jurisdictional line into other people's business. And all I can say, and if I was vindictive, I promise you, if I was vindictive, I could stand here and I could name names and I could retaliate. I could. But see, I've never, ever, ever done that and don't ever intend to. But I can say with love, mind your own business. Look at your own house before you start trying to tell other people how to correct their children and what's going on in their house. Unless 
They're asking you. It's a huge difference when people come to you and ask for advice. It's another when you force your opinion on other people. And by the way, it's probably just your opinion. Now, listen, we're all smart enough to realize that we can take Scripture and twist it around and make it say just about whatever we want it to say. We can, we're, we've been in, uh, studying the Bible long. We can certainly do that. But it's important that you take care of your own business. Study to be quiet. Work with your own hands. And then Matthew 7, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Jesus calls people like that, thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So many people feel like it's their calling in life to find the specks in other people's lives. And when I can show you, I can prove to you, they have huge beams that they're not dealing with or recognizing are acknowledging in their own lives. Mine, it's very loving. This is as loving and gentle and kind as I can be. Mind your own business. Take care of what God has given you. I, the Apostle Paul said, I have finished what? My course. He's given each of us assignments. And it's our responsibility to finish my course. I'm accountable for my course. And you're accountable for your course. It's imperative that we get this. Because I am convinced beyond convincing that lost people need to see the church crazy in love in the right way, please don't take that and go, in the right way in love with each other, that people are attracted to the church because of the love that we have for one another. They, they can't find that in other places. They can't find it in politics. They can't find it in the clubs. They can't find it. They can't find it out there. They need to see it in the church. They need to see the church. Listen, it, it's like, and I love the analogies we've heard so many, but it's like a marriage. Do Lynn and I have, do we have different opinions? Sure. Does she think differently than I do? Sure. She wrong ever? Yes. Am I ever wrong? Yes. But now we've gone over 50 years, and they're ahead of us here. They're the Pheasantons, they're approaching 50, 51. 52, 52. See, but, but folks, 
everywhere we go, we get a chance to testify about that. And they look and they say, well, y'all seem to be normal. Yeah, we are normal. We are normal. But we're crazy in love with each other. And it's just getting stronger and stronger and stronger with each passing year. It's better. It's better than I ever dreamed when I was in my 20s. And so let me just say, the church, we need to, people need to see that in the church. They need to see a loving church. They need to see people that love each other. And, and listen, when you talk about somebody in the body of Christ to other people, family members, children, different things, what are you doing? At the very least, you're putting the black dot on a white piece of paper. At the very least. At the very least, you're putting a black dot on a, on a white piece of paper. And you know what? When the next time they see that person, they're going to see the black dot. So it's so imperative. Well, let's go back to our text real quickly. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto them, all them also that love is appearing. You know, I did some research, and I, I'm not going to get into uh, this, this, by the way, this crown of righteousness, the crown is it's literally surroundings, it's a circle, it's like a plaited wreath or garment that would be placed on the head of dignitaries and, and uh, our military officers that were victorious. I mean, you, you can see the picture, or athletes. And then John MacArthur pointed out, you know, it it's, uh, could be the, the righteousness is the source of the crown or righteousness is the nature of the crown. I'll let the deep theologians get into all of that. And y'all can dig in and figure out whether it's a source or it's the nature. But the bottom line is there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day. A day of rewards for finishing our course. Finishing my course. And so I've got a, I've got a couple of verses here I just want to read to you real quickly. Not exegete, but just read real quickly to help us to see. Because this will be important if we get some of this down, get it right. Okay, we've got just a limited amount of time and we're going to finish our course. And I really believe that rewards are only given in direct obedience to the written instruction of the Word of God. So it's our lives obeying the Word of God, led by the Spirit, Spirit speaking to us through the Word. He will never say anything contrary to the Word. So don't, don't listen to these folks that are saying, well, you know, the Spirit told me this, but it doesn't line up in Scripture. It's always going to line up in Scripture. And so this, this will help. 1 Corinthians 13. We've done a lot of studies on that. I just want to read very quickly the first few verses. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And you can get into what all that really means. It's, that's great study. And have not charity. I've become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. So the point here is you can do a bunch of good things that seem to be very spiritual. 
But if you don't have the love of God flowing in and through your life, and it's not touching the love of God in your life is not touching the lives of others, you're going to miss out. I, I don't I believe there will be no rewards for if you do things, if you do things without the love of God, because the scripture is very clear. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. In other words, you've just got a great handle on all of this. And you've got you are a brilliant scholar from the word of God. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, and that I could remove mountains and have not charity or love, I am nothing. I am nothing. A sounding brass, tinkling cymbal, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods, okay, you're generous, you give away all your stuff. I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. You are out there serving. People look at you and say, oh, what a servant of Christ. And though I give my body to be burned, you're going to be a martyr and be burned at the stake. And you volunteered, you raised your hand and said, I'll do it. And you don't have charity. It profits you. Listen to this. The scripture says, if you don't have God's love in your life, it profits you nothing. It profits you nothing. My concern, my genuine concern is there are going to be some people surprised that they don't have any more rewards than they do. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, and we're getting close to wrapping it up. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For other Foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, in other words, you got, you're born again, you're saved, and you're building on this foundation. If any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. Every man's work will be tested. For that day shall declare it. That day shall declare it. There's coming a day where you're, where I finished my course from salvation to death, that day will, will determine the rewards shall, because it shall be revealed by fire. There's going to be a day of testing your, your, what you built upon the foundation. You got saved, yes. But what did you build upon the foundation? Jesus Christ. Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble. And the fire shall try, shall test every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. That's my burden today. That's my concern. I'm concerned that so many believers are going to go through life. They're chasing the wrong, they're going the wrong direction. They're missing out on what's important to God. The things that God says are important. You can do all this good stuff, looks to be so spiritual, but if you don't have the love of God flowing out of you, it profits you nothing. There's not going to be a reward for that. It's going to be wood, hay, stubble. 
If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved yet as by fire. I believe that scripture is teaching a person can be saved, born again, go to heaven with no rewards. As the one preacher, and I will forget it as long as I live, he was, he was taking the testing. And he said, it's like an oven. And the fire is testing your life. And he said he pulled out the tray. And he started sifting his hands through the ashes. And he's looking for something solid that's remaining. But he said it's just ashes, 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 ashes. Our lives, our course. It's going to be judged by fire, going to be tested by fire, tried by fire. The challenge to all of us, none of us are exempt. Are we building a life of gold, silver, precious stones? Following to the detail, I'm, I'm doing all this, I'm going to be a martyr, but I've got the love, I've got charity. You see, all these things all add up. I, I really want to help my brother, but I've still got this huge log in my own eye. Take care of that first, Jesus said. You hypocrite, take care of that first. Before you even think about talking to somebody about the little tiny speck they've got in their eye. Just so many details that we must follow. So that when that day, the day of departure comes, and it will come apart from Jesus coming for his church, that day will come, and you don't know when it's going to be. The Lord laid this message heavy on my heart to bring a loving warning to the church, to the body of Christ. Let's get ready for that day of departure. First, it's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then it's building on that foundation, gold, silver, precious stone. The seed has been sown. I hope it's landed on good soil. Let's bow for prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for the power of God's word. We thank you for your love and your grace, your mercy, and the fact that you've just allowed us to just so many times stumble and miss the mark and come up short. And here we are today with a new opportunity to start all over again. I pray that we'd realize we're in a fight, we're in a war, and that we'd get engaged in the right war. Father, I pray that you would touch hearts today, not just minds, but hearts, that we would realize the necessity of getting ready for the departure, our departure, that we could say, I have finished my course. I have fought a good fight. Father, thank you for the word of God, the clarity of it, the strength of it, 
the power of it that changes lives. We pray that this invitation time would be special to each one involved. In Jesus' name, amen.